Today, you cannot do anything without Chinese government monitoring your activity. You're talking about 400 million take vision cameras. Every aspect of your life. United States government believes that uh, over 80 countries already have either adopted or in the process of adopting Chinese digital authoritarianism. In this episode, I sit down with the chair of the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom, Nuri Turkel. He was born in a re-education camp in China during the Cultural Revolution. They treat people of faith as though they have a mental illness, as though they carry infectious disease. The re-education is a code word for human re-engineering. What was America's greatest strategic blunder in its relationship with the CCP? And how can it be rectified now? American people need to stop investing in self-destruction. This is American Thought Leaders, and I'm Yanya Kelik. Nuri Turkel, such a pleasure to have you back on American Thought Leaders. Thank you very much for having me. You know, when you were on last, we were talking about your book, No Escape, um, talking about being born in communist China in a camp yes, and making it to America and becoming a Foreign Corrupt Practices Act lawyer in the process, an, unbe an unbelievable journey. And lately you've been doing something, frankly, very topical, which is you took on running the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom. Right. And it's the annual report time. Yes. And uh, why don't we just start there? Just tell me a little bit about what this is, what this organization is, because we have to keep kind of reminding folks. Yes. And then also, you know, what you found. The U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom um, was established in 1999. The commission um, is an independent uh, federal government agency that uh, reports uh, religious freedom violations around the world. It makes policy recommendations to the U.S. President, uh, Secretary of State, and, uh, and Congress. We have nine commissioners uh, appointed by both party uh, leadership, uh, president and uh, congressional leadership. And this year's report, we highlighted uh, China again. Since 1999, Yusuf has been recommending, uh, with the support of the U.S. State Department, uh, designating China as a country of particular concern. Uh, you know what happened in, in, um, in 1998 onward. Instead of uh, uh, making it better for people of faith in China, China has been waging war on people of faith. As a result, the CCP turned itself into a genocidal regime today. You know, it's kind of unbelievable. You know, of course, in 19, 1999, the CCP began uh, persecuting the Falun Gong practitioners. You know, sort of 70 to 100 million people became illegal overnight. Yeah. Right? And it's, it can be hard for people to grasp you know, this is something like one in, possibly even one in 13 Chinese suddenly become illegal, suddenly, you know, to be eradicated according to the words of the dictator at the time. It seems to make no sense. In fact, I often get asked that question. Why do you think, why do you think they did it? Right? It's a great question and legitimate question. It's an important question for American people to understand. In the 1990s, uh, our government made a huge mistake delinking human rights from the uh, trade uh, negotiation or discussion, helped to get China into the WTO. That kind of paved the, paved the way for human rights, religious freedom issues to, to being pushed to the side. As a result, the business interest, uh, American and global, have much more uh, important role with China, uh, influence over Chinese uh, practices. So that made it even more difficult to um, ad uh, advocate religious freedom for 
uh, repressed, oppressed um, religious groups like the Falun Gong practitioners, the Tibetan Buddhists, Chinese Catholics, and Uyghur Muslims. And the key question is this, uh, why do they hate uh, people of faith so much? The short answer is that China, uh, Chinese communist leadership uh, sees uh, people of faith as a potential threat for political upheaval. And then second reason is the Chinese Communist Party sees um, or perceives religious practitioners uh, with a group of people with uh, uh, showing signs of disloyalty to the party uh, that e eventually they believe will undermine Communist Party's uh, power. So they don't say it publicly. They have uh, rosy pictures. They have nicely written constitution. They have uh, religious affairs regulations, but that has been only in paper. So the international community uh, bears some responsibility, helping Chinese to take it from a religious persecution, human rights abuse to today's nightmare that is a genocidal regime. Well, let's talk about this just very briefly. You mentioned something really important to me and something I've talked about in the past as well. The consequences of delinking trade for human rights. It's a strategic blunder. Even though some people, uh, starting from uh, Bush 41, had a good intention to help the Chinese people, thinking that helping China to become economically prosperous, um, uh, helping them with the technology, helping them with the education, uh, the policymakers thought that uh, China will become one of us or member of a uh, free world. Uh, the opposite has happened. Instead of us changing them, they are changing us. So that's something that need to be reminded of the American policymakers and general public. Even though some people uh, initiated, promoted, pushed for that policy agenda, but uh, we have to recognize it, it has been a miserable failure. To the Chinese Communist Party, two things are very important. One, uh, their uh, economic development. The other is their, uh, the public perception of the regime. So when you take that one important factor off the table, of course they will continue the abuses, abusive behaviors, persecution with impunity. What is the cost for them? So um, it, it is not only for the United States to think about or revisit, uh, come up with a coherent strategic policy responses today. This is the same thing is true with countries in Asia, Japan, South Korea, Australia, New Zealand, and also European Union. Uh, Thank God that we live in a country that has uh, figured out that we have problem in our uh, relationship with communist China in the last three or four years, uh, starting with the Trump administration. We are looking at different ways of uh, uh, dealing with the communist China. You know, people talk about it. We have find out the symptom, but there has not been uh, a prescription to cure the problem. We're still debating, discussing. So um, I, I would call it strategic blunder. So you actually have a proposal where to start things off in a letter that you that you wrote recently as the group of commissioners. I want to touch on that in a moment. It's yeah. a very interesting idea, I think a very good idea. But I want to go back to this sort of intrinsic hostility to faith, to religion uh, of the Communist Party. And you were saying that they're, you know, they're afraid that kind of that the people of faith can kind of undermine yeah. the legitimacy of the regime or the but I, I actually think they, they're probably right about that. You know, I don't I don't think I don't think they're necessarily wrong. Right. I, I agree. Yeah. I agree. What they write about this, but our policymakers are not recognizing they figured out, whereas we have not figured out how to deal with it, and we've been very shy pushing freedom agenda. 
When you listen to the Chinese, uh, this has been um, very clear, uh, loudly telegraphed uh, by Xi Jinping since 2020, uh, 2012, that uh, the country is facing two problems, foreign encirclement and slow growth. This is why they have been coming up with various uh, actions, responses, uh, uh, to uh, tackle the sanctions imposed by the United States government, including the uh, Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act. And the foreign encirclement, this is very important for the purposes of our discussion, that foreign encirclement to the Chinese, a foreign influence. The foreign influence includes all the freedom that are there and near to us. That includes religious freedom, freedom to assembly, uh, freedom of uh, worship, uh, and, and to be able to teach your faith to the next generation. All of this perceived that by the Chinese leadership as a national security threat. Today, in Chinese leadership's mindset, uh, they, they're, they're focusing two things. One, they try to push back on foreign encirclement. If you listen to Xi Jinping's re, uh, speech several weeks ago, he specifically mentioned foreign encirclement. That's a code word for uh, their effort to push back against freedom. That includes religious freedom. And the other aspect, this is also equally important, which is China have something new since Xi Jinping took office, specifically since late 2014, with the announcement of national security strategy. And it, it specifically said we have to take preemptive action with or without justification, if necessary, with brutal method. We have seen this. Uh, what do they do? They treat people of faith as though they have a mental illness, as though they care, carry an um, infectious disease. And they also have been loudly, clearly saying this in order to prevent that uh, infectious disease spreading, metastasizing the general population, it needs to be cured. This is why they call Falun Gong practitioners and end up oftentimes sending them to mental hospital. This is why they rounded up close to three million or around three million Uyghurs that includes religious leaders in the modern day concentration camps, subjecting them to a, a day in, day out, uh, a political indoctrination, forcing them to denounce their God. Same thing is happening in Tibet. The re-education is a code word for human re-engineering. And this is how they've been uh, accomplishing that preemptive uh, treatment uh, method that has been articulated by the Chinese leadership. There's often when we talk about extreme left-wing ideologies, there's this idea of projection, like the thing that they kind of accuse you of is the thing that we're doing. Because when I hear this term, foreign encirclement, right, I, I think of, you know, the Belt and Road Initiative. Yeah. That sounds like some pretty serious encirclement going on, Yeah. right? Yeah. The strategy that has been announced or implemented since 2014, also very strong uh, foreign context. Uh, you know, the, the way that they have been using this um, uh, project uh, initiated uh, by Xi Jinping is a way to uh, uh, expand their influence through investment. We're talking about one uh, billion dollars investment and also making smaller, weaker countries a potentially client state. Uh, making them, forcing them to take a similar position as Beijing. We have seen this at the UN Human Rights Council uh, several months ago when there was a proposal being uh, put on voting uh, which was um, to debate on uh, former High Commissioner's report on Uyghur genocide, 
we got only 17, the Chinese got 19 votes. So they're using uh, the, the investment that they have made in global south and de developing countries to gain momentum in international organizations. The, uh, the director for, uh, uh, deputy director for China at the NSC, uh, Dr. Raj Doshi, wrote a book called Long, uh, Long Game. In it, he makes a point, a uh, very simple point. Uh, China has been blunting U.S. influence while building their own. So this uh, Belt and Road Initiative fits perfect to that narrative. And then the other thing that they're doing, using the technology. This is nicely folded into this uh, China's soft power projection. They are exporting the most sophisticated uh, surveillance technology that has been overly utilized, uh, uh, perfected in China proper. Today, you cannot do anything without Chinese government monitoring you actively. You're talking about 400 million uh, Hake Vision cameras. Every aspect of your life, your communication with your family, your business associates, your friends, your, your children, everything has been documented and stored in the Chinese government uh, data storage. And that the same method uh, been uh, in the process of being exported. United States government believes that uh, over 80 countries already have either adopted or in the process of adopting Chinese uh, digital authoritarianism. What does it mean? This, is, this, this should give a chill to people who chant freedom slogan every day. Uh, this will threat uh, democratic norms. This definitely um, uh, negatively affect our privacy. Uh, this will also will be used for blackmailing eventually. Uh, and also in some countries like the Zimbabwe, the opposition leader uh, cannot publicly or privately plan on running for office again because the sitting president had been able to get help from Huawei and other uh, Chinese tech giants. So it's been taking place in two ways. But uh, there's a positive side of uh, this whole story as well. As we have been seeing in the news, some countries some client states uh, under the BII, BRI agreement defaulting their loan payment. So this will make the Chinese very un unpopular in some corners of the world. Time will tell, but we start seeing uh, the potential fallout of this, uh, this investment that China has made around the world. Except that those defaults usually are, you know, involve basically the Chinese regime seizing land yeah. holdings, all sorts of things, or the, the, the technology that's been developed and so forth. Absolutely. This, yeah. You know, we often focus on developing countries. Look at the southern European countries. In, in the European Union today, um, a 27 member, uh, mem member organization, uh, some countries are not leading, um, Germany and France, uh, on on what is right with respect to China. And also some countries are dragging. We have a, a European Union has a Greece problem, Portugal problem, Spain problem. And those are the countries that have signed on to the BRI. In some instances, the Chinese are running their ports. Uh, we know based on the recent report published by the House Select Committee on CCP that they also using ports for surveillance using their equipment. This is just a whole package. You know, you and I, should, we, we, we're, I'm not surprised. I, I sure, I'm sure that you're not surprised hearing, seeing these kind of actors. That's what they do. That's what the CCP do. What is disturbing is that even in the face, in the backdrop of all of the things that we know, the policymakers are not being bold and strategic.
Well, so then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a, a bookmark in here, and then we're going to talk about this letter that you and the commissioners wrote uh, to Congress, right, about, well, I, I'll leave it as a surprise. Before we go there, I want to highlight to people that the mandate of USURF is international. It doesn't focus on America. It focuses on everything other than America. Um, that may be one of the reasons we're, we're, we're talking about uh, outside countries. But why don't you give me a quick overview of what the report found? China, of course, is the, by far the largest violator of religious yeah. freedom, and that's why we're going to focus on this. But there's other areas, too. I noticed when you gave your uh, you know, speech and the announcement of the report, you mentioned Nigeria. That's something we've covered, these um, you know, massacres in, uh, of Nigerian Christians quite extensively yeah. in the Epoch Times. Maybe you can tell us a bit about that and just some general findings that are of particular concern. The China, of course, has been uh, the focus and the, the trend line in China is disturbing. Compared to 2000, in, in 2022, we find out that China has ratcheted up uh, its uh, repressive policies, specifically on four groups, the Uyghur uh, Muslims, uh, the genocide is still underway, Tibetan Buddhists, they are forcing Tibetans to go through uh, uh, enforced uh, brainwashing sessions. Uh, we still don't know the whereabouts of Benchen Lama. And then uh, the following practitioners, we, we, uh, we have a report of over 170 deaths uh, within the Falun Gong community. The Chinese never loosen up. Uh, this has been a decade-long repression oppression that the uh, Falun Gong community has been uh, enduring in China. And also the other one is equally important, which is uh, China's targeted attack on the Catholic community. Uh, the, the Catholic Church around the world, including Vatican, has not uh, shown willingness to to make it better for the Catholics in, in, in China. Uh, the Chinese bishops um, uh, are not, uh, the Catholic bishops in China is not uh, being approved endorsed by a Vatican, even though there is an agreement between China and Vatican uh, that have been renewed. Uh, we only know one provision, which is that uh, China agrees with Vatican's involvement in the bishop appointment. Instead, they're forcing the Chinese bishops uh, to sign up, uh, uh, sign a pledge of allegiance to Patriotic Catholic Association. So those are the four key um, findings that we reported. In addition to China, we have also uh, reported um, uh, some disturbing uh, developments in Nigeria and India specifically. In the case of uh, Nigeria, uh, as a result of government inaction, uh, the Christian community, in some instances the Muslim community, have been uh, subject to atrocity crimes. We have been recommending the State Department to designate uh, Nigeria as a CPC country. We have not been it's successful. It's a country of particular concern. Country, yeah, it's just, a top, yeah, that's right. And then the yeah. next one is the uh, special watch list. Okay. And then the India is another interesting case, and it's also uh, uh, some concerning developments been uh, identified and reported in this year's report that includes Indian um, government's Hindu nationalism-oriented policy with respect to Christians, uh, specifically to the Muslims. Outside of uh, Indonesia, uh, by headcount, by population, India has the largest Muslim population. This is Mahatma Gandhi's India. Today, uh, a country that not too long ago had a Muslim president, bans uh, intermarriage between Hindus and Muslims, at least in one region. So uh, th these are the two important examples uh, that we have been publicly disagreeing with the United States government, specifically uh, our counterparts at the State Department, mm. that we should call it what it is. 
while we're trying to maintain uh, a diplomatic relationship or strategic partnership in the case of India. Of course, India is an important country uh, in our uh, strategic approach to China. But at the end of the day, friends are supposed to be honest with each other. Uh, we should be able to talk about the problems. The responses that we often get from India is, 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 um, is quite ugly. Uh, we've been subject to attacks, uh, commissioners and policy team. Uh, instead of doing that, they should look at and, 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 and where they can make some improvements. We have um, also called out the, um, the religious persecution uh, the abuse of religious minorities in Afghanistan, Syria, uh, uh, Nicaragua, Cuba, but th those are the countries are, uh, you know, especially in the case of Afghanistan, it's kind of unique. Uh, we recommend it for um, uh, entity of particular concern, uh, EPC. Uh, so um, I, I also like to uh, report that in some countries we are uh, uh, seeing some positive developments. I cover Central Asia as well. We've been um, uh, involved uh, and very engaged with the diplomatic corps from those countries. Um, they have been willing to uh, sit down with us and listen to our concerns. I even visited Central Asia last April. I'm about to make another trip some point uh, this year. So at the end of the day, this is something very important for countries to know that we've been highlighting. Uh, when you see a respect um, for religious groups, in the, in the simplest term, if you leave people alone to practice their uh, religion or adhere to their spiritual life, you naturally achieve that social stability, harmony, and peace. Whenever you suppress, you end up spending more money on domestic security than the national defense, much like China. Uh, the, the beefing up the police force, uh, rounding up religious practitioners, uh, sending them to mental hospital, or engaging in organ harvesting is not the way to deal with your own population. We should also touch on this new bill that uh, you know Chris Smith uh, uh, sponsored um, related to the organ harvesting to actually have some teeth in trying to stop that. But let, let's let's go to your letter first. Um, it's frankly spoke to me. Basically, you're proposing that. Um, people not be allowed to lobby on behalf of communist China. And noting that, that it was unthinkable to do that on behalf of the Soviet Union back in the day. So, so what's going on here? There's you know, I, probably the single largest source of dollars around here <laughs> is the Chinese Communist Party. Yeah. You know, um, in our system, government system, lobbying is permitted. We are constitutionally uh, allowed. We have a constitutional right to petition our government. But it got so toxic. This lobbying, that term, is not even popular. People changing it to legislative advocacy, governmental relations, the same thing, lobbying. But the lobbying, in what sense, and who, for who? If you're lobbying for uh, a legitimate cause, if you're lobbying for your own uh, trade association, that's one thing. But foreign governments, hostile governments, doing the bidding for Beijing is something that I personally condemn. I think it's unconscionable. Uh, that should stop. Today, uh, when you look around in Washington, let me start with something that I am uh, personally familiar with. When we're lobbying uh, our Congress with zero monetary investment uh, on the Uyghur bills, uh, specifically the uh, Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act, we faced uh, unbe unbelievable challenges. 
We're talking about multinational corporations with no problem with the funding of the lobbying firms, law firms. They were busy. We're talking about all the big names as reported in the New York Times, the Nike, the Apples, and all those big guys who have made a, a ton of money in China trying to stop our government to make it illegal to uh, consume slave labor produced products. You know, it's perfectly uh, acceptable, uh, reasonable for former government officials to engage in, in governmental relations lobbying activities, but they have to watch out what, what the, who their client is. If you end up representing all the Chinese big techs, uh, in one case, um, former Senator Barbara Boxer ended up returning the money that she contributed to the Biden uh, inauguration committee because of her uh, work for ZTE. People could, should do their due diligence. So the, the, our attempt, our, uh, our intention is to uh, potentially, hopefully stop our government officials or policy experts, governmental relations experts doing the bidding for hostile regime like the one that we have in Beijing. Right, and I mean, and this is something that you know hits very close to home because, of course, you know, in case anyone's not aware, you're Uyghur yourself. Yeah, your mother is being persecuted as we speak, and I'd actually love to know what's happening with her. I mean, it's a terrible situation. I haven't seen my mother. Thank you for asking. Um, I, I haven't seen my mother uh, since my law school graduation uh, 19 years ago. Um, I lost my father last April. Um, and because I have been sanctioned by Xi Jinping's China, I could not even uh, go home to pay respect to uh, my late father and hold my mom while we were mourning. That of in of itself can explain uh, what kind of um, personal sacrifice one need to make in order to advance or advocate for freedom for people of China. In my own case, the Chinese retaliated against me because of my service for American people in my current role. Uh, the retaliation was very specific. The, uh, the, the US government sanctioned four Chinese officials under the Global uh, Magnitsky uh, Sanction, Mag Magnitsky Act, and they're retaliate, retaliating by sanctioning me and three other uh, USERF commissioners. And what did we do? Uh, issued a press statement, uh, pretty much it. The, if you don't uh, respond, uh, uh, strongly, uh, with a sharp language, or even potential consequences, we will continue to see this. This is, I feel very strongly about um, uh, the hostile government sanctioning of our government officials. I don't think anyone disputes. Uh, those of us who have been sanctioned, uh, former Ambassador Sam Brownback, former Secretary of State Pompeo, uh, uh, Matt Pottinger, a former Deputy National Security Advisor, uh, we all been sanctioned because of our work to defend freedom, defend human rights, defend American values, defend our national interest. Whereas we have been sanctioning the Chinese officials, the Russian oligarchs, the Russian uh, cohorts of Putin for the crimes, crimes against humanity and genocide. So there is a fundamental difference. Therefore, uh, the individuals who have been sanctioned by Communist China always said it's a badge of honor, which is true to the extent, but in my own case, um, it's not that easy. What we're talking about is a, a, a regime, a hostile regime in Beijing cutting me off from my family. Uh, in all of my childhood memories, I will never be able to, um, uh, to see. Uh, uh, 
or enjoy uh, because I'm not, I'm permanently banned from entering, re-entering. Uh, I have not been back to China since I left 1995. And also, it will make it very difficult uh, for those, I don't have a business associates, but for the others who are in a business environment, uh, it make it very difficult. Uh, so we always joke that, yeah, I was not planning to go to Beijing Zoo for the summer vacation uh, with my kids, but uh, we have to condemn and we have to call it what it is when the Chinese takes this kind of retaliatory action, uh, which is meaningless you know, when you look at it uh, on its face, but the consequences cannot be um, ignored. So we need to push back. We need to say, this got to stop. You either make an improvement, stop this genocide, stop misusing the technology, stop enslaving people, stop engaging in organ, organ harvesting, otherwise we'll continue to go after you, your family, you, you finance, you uh, travel, travel uh, freedom of movement, but you cannot do the same thing to us. That kind of strong message needs to be conveyed. It's interesting that, that, that you say this because in general, it doesn't feel like very often anything that is done kind of on this side really kind of gets the regime to change its behavior. Well, that's, uh, you know, if you don't press, if you let this kind of behavior to be normalized, then you will not be able to, not only you, you will fail to stop it, but you will keep seeing it. Allowing it to become a normal behavior is an acceptance. And holding bad actors, perpetrators to account, is a very effective way of uh, uh, deterring from the same acts being repeated again. I'll give you one example. In the last 10, 12 years, or maybe last 50 years, all of the human rights abuses, religious persecution, crimes against humanity, genocide, ethnic cleansing, have been met on the uh, religious groups. Because we have been keep failing, we, because we've been keep breaking our promise never again since 1945, the, the, the criminal regime, uh, bad actors, are not being uh, dissuaded, discouraged from repeating the same crime. It's on us because we've been failing. So if you fail, continue to fail, continue to believe that you cannot change, we can change. There are also good, good uh, instances. Look at the Balkans uh, post-Yugoslavia war. It's a different world. It's not a perfect world, but it's a different world. We were able to hold some bad actors to account. Uh, Sudan's former uh, dictator, Bashar, had been, been charged, uh, been um, uh, delivered justice. So we have to be bold, uh, we have to be courageous. When we take a, a, a conscionable, uh, a moral action, a strong action, and when we show leadership, we will be rewarded. Uh, but when we fail to do that, we'll be despised. I mean, history shows that um, a strong leadership always been rewarded. Moral leadership has always been rewarded. And this country is in a very unique position. Uh, you know, borrowing uh, Secretary P uh, Blinken's line, uh, that the world does not organize itself. We have to lead, leading by example. We also have to lead by showing courage. I can't help but think, you know, I was on a Twitter space recently talking about uh, China-related issues. Taiwan is the Taiwan invasion, something that might might happen in the near future. What are, what are the realities, China, Taiwan? Um, and one of the things I mentioned was something in this vein, right? That basically that um, 
you know, we're dealing with China, we're dealing with a regime that has absolutely no guardrails. There's no moral restrictions. And I was using some of these, gen, you know, certainly the Uyghur genocide, or I would argue that's what's happening to the Falun Gong and the Tibetans also is, you know, at least very close, if not that, that same class. Um, but some people pushed back against me, said, oh no, this is, this is US propaganda against China. Even internally in America, because we have all sorts of internal problems and so forth, right? And, and, and like actually quite substantial ones. So a lot of people are saying, hey, listen, just, you know, we got, we got to focus on ourselves. We've got our massive problems here. How do, you, how do you kind of square this kind of a response? And I'm talking about well-meaning people here that aren't specifically looking to kind of, you know, dissuade. I, I've engaged with some of those people as well, both, both at home and abroad. Um, I, as you know, that I do a fair amount of uh, travel, both in, within the United States and around the world, and that's one of the common questions. Like, even when you make a compelling argument with, uh, that, are, that are supported with the facts, evidence, they said, oh, yeah, this is the U.S. government's game plan to hamper China rise. It shows that how poorly that we have done with public diplomacy and public education. The United States has its own problems, and I don't think we should be shied away. We should be also free to acknowledge our own problem. And by the way, we are, um, without recognizing, acknowledging our problems specifically on investing in Chinese high tech, for example, we know that we're feeling this genocide. And we also need to acknowledge that uh, we are purchasing the, uh, the goods made with the slave labor to fuel the China's economy, fuel this genocide. We are complicit. You know, I, this is something that I never hesitate to say. But at the same time, we cannot continue to the self-examine while ignoring the global challenges. Americans are good at self-correction. We need to we need to work on our problems, but should we should never shy away from calling bad actors, criticizing uh, a, a country's regime committing genocide or committing uh, atrocity crimes. So my my response to those people is that it you can have a healthy debate. This is what America is about. But at the same time, let's don't lose our sight over the major problems coming our way. We're a little bit too late, actually. Uh, when you think of the problems, the magnitude, the, the sc sheer scope of the problem that we're dealing with, uh, it, with respect to China, we're, we, I feel that we're a little late. So it's good to have a debate. It's good to have a healthy conversation. But uh, we have to show leadership. We have to do what we can to at least you know, um, make an improvement in areas. One area specifically, we should never uh, hesitate to talk about human rights when we're dealing with uh, uh, countries like China. Because of uh, China's uh, urging, sometimes pressuring, uh, our policymakers, our government officials, try to put the human rights on the back burner, thinking that not criticizing China we're toning down on, on human rights and our relationship with China. We'll get to China's cooperation on public health issues, for, for example, in the fentanyl crisis, uh, climate crisis. Guess what? That's not how Chinese government operates. The Chinese, Chinese leadership, the Communist Party, do what is good for the party, what is good for the leadership. They will not do things one way or the other because of our uh, willingness not to criticize them on the human rights issue. So, you know, as, as a, um, a global leader, uh, as a country with a long history defending human rights and religious freedom, we should be bold and courageous to speak out whenever when we see abuses. 
You know, you mentioned something earlier in the interview how, you know, we thought we were going to change them. They actually ended up changing us more. And I'm very concerned, actually, that they've changed us into becoming more like them in this sort of moral area as well, which is the reason perhaps for some of this complicity or at least contributes to the reason for some of this complicity. So it's almost, it's like it's kind of a vicious circle. Right, unless you can kind of find your, yes, maybe you have been compromised. Yes, maybe things have gotten worse. Yes, maybe we have done things that are worse than before and we need to deal with them. But that, what, that we can't just get into that kind of vicious spiral of thinking that way because then we can never get back our moral high ground. Right, right. right. I disagree with this notion, uh, specifically on public discussion in some instance in our educational system that America is inherently bad, racist is a bad idea. They, that, that has to stop. And also, um, the one other point uh, related to this that I need to highlight is that it has got to the point of almost unrecognizable in the case of uh, American high-tech firms, in the case of Hollywood, in the case of sports world, in the case of academia. Today, you'll be hard-pressed to find anyone, specific in those four areas, be willing to call out CCP. Recently, Apple CEO said that Apple and Chinese people have a symbiotic relationship. Um, and also, we know that MBA never criticizes, actually, in fact, punishes people, criticizes CCP. Hollywood never does anything that remotely annoys the CCP because Chinese have managed to make the Hollywood to believe that it will hurt Chinese people's feeling. In academia, that's to me, that's the most dishonest uh, uh, corner of American society today. Some professors, afraid of being cut off access to China, still um, not being truthful to their students, still not being truthful to the American people, and still not being truthful to their conscience. They still think that wishful China still exists. That China does not exist. That China is, is, is you know, borrowing um, what uh, former Deputy National Security Advisor Matt Pottinger just put out today through his interview. A baby um, uh, uh, shark uh, will be uh, growing into a dolphin instead of that, because after we're feeding them repeatedly uh, for so many years, that that become a big whale that we have to grapple with. It's it's a very, very, very uh, useful uh, metaphor, example to illustrate uh, how big of a problem that we have. You know, we have to wake up. Um, it's unconscionable, specifically in the academic community, it's fine if you don't be if you won't be able to publish a book or have a book trip to China. It's fine if you may not be able to make a tenureship, but self-censorship is not okay. So that's what we start seeing, um, and that this this deserves a lot of uh, attention. And one other point, the investment, American investment in Chinese high tech. Uh, as I alluded earlier, uh, that this has been one of the key topics in one, uh, one of the recent hearings that I testified uh, at the uh, uh, House Select Committee, uh, that uh, American people need to stop investing in self-destruction. Continuing to invest in Chinese high-tech, Chinese businesses, will help to fuel the Chinese economy. And they've been using that against us. So, and very briefly, so what is happening with your mom? Well, my ailing, aging mother, uh, 73 years old mother, who lost her husband of 53 last April, 
stuck in China. The Chinese Communist Party won't let her leave um, and reunite with her American family. My mom has uh, two uh, American sons and five uh, U.S.-born grandchildren whom she has not met yet. So the China is preventing her to reunite with her American family because of uh, their retaliation against what I do, um, uh, advocating um, uh, human rights for people uh, that I represent. And also, um, disturbingly, the Chinese think that holding my mom uh, or taking hostage of a, a mother of an American citizen will eventually silence me. Uh, it will not work. Uh, this, is, this is something very important. Uh, I feel like that I have a historical task assigned to me. Um, I will continue to speak out through my tears. Yeah, and I guess you think she'll understand. I, you know, much to credit, much, uh, you know, I, uh, I put this in my book. Um, uh, to this day, uh, either late my, my late father or my mother ever uh, express slightest disapproval of my human, right, human rights advocacy work. To this day, either my late father or my mother ever uh, uh, raise any concern, uh, let alone criticize me for my human rights advocacy work, even though my work uh, cost them dearly, uh, cost us family separation. Think about this. I have not seen my mother, who brought me to this world in such a horrific circumstances, uh, have been separated, forcibly separated by CCP. Uh, I would love to visit uh, my mom as much as I can, uh, just like anyone else in our society. I want to be able to attend my mother, which is a very normal thing to do for a child. Uh, this, this retaliatory actions made me feel that the Chinese um, made us uh, believe that we will meet life after. So we said goodbye a uh, long time ago, and knowing that uh, the Chinese will retaliate. So, um, you know, you have to be realistic. Uh, what we're dealing with is a very brutal regime. They will not hesitate to, uh, to punish you. You know, at the end of the day, we're free people. I, I'm free to say, I'm free to do anything. Uh, we're American. I'm an American. Uh, so I, they're not going to be able to silence me. So let's talk a little bit about what this, the folks in that building behind you can actually do at this point. And one of these things that is a very promising bill, at least to my eye, and I'd like to get your commentary on it, is this um, uh, countering forced organ harvesting bill sponsored yeah. by uh, Congressman Chris Smith. It's passed the House. It's going to be going to the Senate. Um, it's kind of the first thing that I've seen that actually has some teeth that potentially, yeah. you know, kind of getting back at this horrific yeah. practice. This particular issue, organ harvesting, is something that deserves a lot of attention. Um, this is also uh, something that the American people feel uh, should feel complicit. Um, why am I saying this? Uh, for years and years, uh, Falun Gong practitioners and the Uyghurs have been crying out loud um, asking for attention, asking for action by our government to, to address this horrific crime. Uh, we're talking about Chinese acknowledging that the ideal organ is 28-year-old 20 male. And when you look at today's concentration camp, that's the kind of age, uh, the age group that have been targeted. 
um, it sounds speculative, but the facts support that when you look at the population. And also this is something that the Falun Gong community have been suffering for so long. Uh, we're talking about a country that wait time for vital organs are significantly short. Um, I participated in a panel discussion in 2019 at CSIS. One of my co-panelists said that it's short as weeks, three days, 48 hours. That means that there are available organs um, for the Chinese to engage in this uh, organ uh, transplant business. In one instance that I've seen myself, a hospital in Beijing advertising medical tourism for potential organ receivers, and the language was in Arabic. They even uh, marketing the organs to uh, the Muslim societies. And that makes me believe that are you trying to allure uh, uh, medical tourists to China and have them receive the organs from the Uyghur uh, 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 people, Uyghur youth. So what are we doing? We haven't done much. Uh, even this is not being widely discussed. I think few things um, as mandated, um, uh, as will be mandated under this bill, we have to do a number of things. For example, we need to cut off uh, medical tourism to China. American people need to stop going to China for organ transplant. And number two, um, we need to focus on Chinese medical community. There are facilitating this horrific uh, practice by uh, being a doctor in the surgery room. And they have an ongoing relationship with our medical schools, our uh, medical uh, uh, professionals. We need to impose visa section. Our government is able to identify who those people are. It's not that difficult. And then three, we need to sanction, uh, impose um, economic sanction on the officials that have been orchestrating this uh, behavior, uh, this, uh, this horrific practice. So it has to be tackled governmentally, societally, together. Uh, it's past time for action. As we finish up, I want to talk very briefly about you. You're this uh, Foreign Corrupt Practices Act lawyer yourself. This is what, you, what, you, what you've been doing to make a living. You know, the religious uh, freedom advocacy area isn't, isn't particularly lucrative. Um, I'm kind of saying that glibly. but you actually had some ideas how to use the principles from this legal provisions on the human rights side. And I wanted, as we finish, if you could just briefly tell me what you're thinking. The United States have this amazing tool, um, uh, or legislative mandate called the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act that makes it illegal for uh, uh, global companies, uh, multinational corporations, engaging in corrupt practices or unethical business practices in other countries. Um, we have the accounting provision um, that is enforced by the SEC. We have uh, the anti-bribery provision that is enforced by the Justice Department. Because we don't have uh, effective, strong legal tools, the, uh, the genocidal regime, like the one that we have in Beijing, have been engaging in uh, genocide, acts of genocide or committing atrocity crimes that is supported by either entities or individuals. So there has not been criminal consequences, or there has not been strong legal consequences, or they have not been subject to law enforcement measures. So the idea that we have is to make it criminal act, uh, or making these individuals, entities, to subject to criminal uh, uh, consequences, and making, uh, supporting, engaging, carrying out 
atrocity crimes or uh, the worst forms of human rights abuses as a law enforcement matter. Uh, today, uh, for example, we have the Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act. We have pushed the responsibilities over to the businesses, telling them everything that you bring to the United States are negative. In order to make it positive, you have to prove it. And those companies will not and have not been effectively proving it otherwise. With the newly um, enacted um, the espionage law, anti-espionage law in China, will even make it more difficult for auditing firms to engage in auditing or due diligence. So what do we do? We have to make it criminal uh, offense uh, that any entity, any individuals facilitates, helps to carry out uh, atrocity crimes. And if you make it a law enforcement instead of an administrative proceeding, you will see a tangible result. This is what we have in mind, and we've been advocating United States Congress to put in place something similar to FCPA. Well, uh, Nuri, I, you know, I wish you Godspeed in that this very important work. Uh, it's such a pleasure to have had you on. Thank you very much for having me back on. Thank you all for joining Nuri Turkel and me on this episode of American Thought Leaders. I'm your host, Yanya Kellek. Thank you.